talking and I'm not and I'm just <laughs> And then I'm talking <laughs> No, but wait, wait, I have something for him. Boom, you get shot down. Now you're just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the news. It's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FYI, there's nothing wrong with black I hope so. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird History Eerie Tales podcast. I am your host Moses Sorry, and with me to my left is my brother Josh. Yo, and then sitting to my right is Archie. Hey, and then today is a special episode, not because of who, uh, not because of who else is joining us, he but because special. of the content that we're going to do. Today we're doing a creepy pasta episode, but joining us today is a good friend of the show, Louis. Yeah, Louis. Hi. Also. I hope what? so. I hope so. I hope so. What's up, guys? So, if you guys have listened to some of our old previous episodes, you've heard me talk about that I used to have a previous podcast that Aji was a fan of that my brother had no idea we were doing. He's, at he's the no idea. And no Lewis idea. was my co-host for the Keepers of the Filth podcast. And this is the first time we recorded together in a long ass time. You didn't know we were recording a podcast when we were right next to your room? Uh, I, I didn't know. I was never in the room. <laughs> All right. I just you guys were like, just like butt fucking or something, yeah? It's like, Damn, so what? people are freaking having some intricate conversations. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh shit, you guys are bonding. Holy shit, <laughs> they hypothesize a lot. Yeah. So today we're gonna be doing. Uh, today's gonna be a basically a creepy pasta episode. It was, I think, it was your idea, Josh. Was, yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna be doing. So good choice. Good choice. So basically, yeah. what we're gonna be doing is. Well, uh, I'm gonna stop you there. It was actually an idea from a buddy of mine, Lewis. Another shout out for him. I didn't Ooh, come back with you. This. Oh, okay, never mind. I said, buddy. Now, babe. I'm going home. Damn mm. Yeah, so he was like, hey, man, you guys should uh, do like something about like scary stories or something like that. And then I was like, you know what? That sounds like a pretty fucking good idea. So shout out to him who gave me the He was like, why don't you guys talk about something interesting for once? <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure, I mean, that's the way he sounded. I was like, oh, thanks. Let's <laughs> fuck you, man. Just kidding. But, but yeah. So, today we're gonna, so today's a creepypasta episode. We're each going to read a story. A story or two or three. Yeah. Depending on who we are. And it's um, it varies in topics from, well, you guys are going to get the idea. You'll hear it. So, if you guys would, for those of you listening at home, turn off the lights, unless you're at work. No, fuck it. Even yeah, turn them off. Turn them off. Fuck them off. Work, fuck it. Fuck it. Just turn everything off, kick back, and enjoy the show as Archie's is going to start off today's episode. And this episode, the first story that I'm going to talk about, it's titled, This New Old House by Bat Out of Hell, 821. We bought an old house, my boyfriend and I. He's in charge of the quote-unquote new construction, converting the kitchen into the master bedroom for instance, while I'm, I'm on wallpaper duty. You know, removing the wallpaper of course. The previous owner papered every wall and ceiling. Removing it was actually pretty brutal, but oddly satisfying. The best feeling is getting a long peel similar to your skin when you're peeling from a sunburn. I don't know about you, but I kind of make a game of peeling on the hump for the longest piece before it rips. Under a corner section of a paper in every room is a person's name and date. Curiosity actually got the best of me one night when I googled one of the names and discovered that the person was actually a missing person. The missing date matching 
the date under the wallpaper. The next day, I made a list of all the names and dates. And sure enough, each name was for a missing person with the dates matching exactly one for one. We notified the police who naturally set out for the crime scene. I overheard one text say, Yep, it's human. Human? What's human? Ma'am, where's the material that you removed from the walls already? Sorry to say, this isn't wallpaper you were removing. What the fuck? She was peeling skin? Skin? Peeling skin and the skin had the dates of all the, the names of the people who were missing. Oh, that's fucking crazy. So... So the My hypothesis is that probably this skin is the same skin of that person that was missing. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So the little girl in the song that you're pl- that was playing while you were telling the story kept saying, go to sleep. Yeah. I ain't sleeping tonight. Fuck that. What little girl? Go yeah. to what? sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's fucked. Wow. Yeah. That's fucked. And you weren't playing. You said it was going to be a short story. Told you. Yeah. Nice. Short and sweet. That's short and sweet. Right, mine's going to be the complete opposite. All right. <laughs> Long and fucking bitter. <laughs> oh, shit. We're in for a fucking treat. My story is called Die T. Fool's Brook. You can find it on Creepypasta. What'd you call me? Die, shit. you fool, bitch. <laughs> so it's called Die T. Fool's Brook. All these ep- all these stories we're going to be talking about today, you're going to be able to find them on the, sh- on the show. On the show notes, you're going to find links so you have to go to it. This one doesn't have an author. It's just a bunker pasta. There's no author to it. But I'm going to put the link up anyway on our show notes. Again, die. Tifu's Brook. People always get the wrong end of the stick when I tell them that my granddad was a Nazi. I mean... Of course, he was in the Leipzig branch of the Hitler Youth as a teen, joined the party when old enough, and in December of 1943, was drafted into the army to fight in the dying years of the war. That said, though, he was never really committed to all the anti-Semitic fascist ideology. In fact, just three years after the war, he married my grandmother Rocco, a Polish Jew in the same church hall that years earlier had hosted the Hitler Youth meetings, before crossing the border into British Germany and then across the sea to a new life in London. That said, he did have some great stories from what I grew up thinking of as the other side. He fought on the Eastern Front mainly, though never sent to the worst conflicts of the region, battles like those at Stalingrad, Kursk, and Kharkov. He met many soldiers both in the Standard Army and the Waffen-SS who had fought there, who told him their stories. Years later, he would tell these stories to an impressionable young child on his knee who would listen wrapped in stories sitting on the floor of the little apartment that smelled of wood, smoke, and cigarettes. Granddad passed away early last year, surrounded by his closest family. I'll always miss him, in memory, going to pass on a story he himself passed on from a wounded soldier, who himself heard it from a Waffen SS friend of his. The story of Die Tiefel's Brook. The camp lay quiet as the snow fell that night. 
The canvas of the tent bulged inwards, pregnant as four men ang talked angrily over a table smothered in sepia brown maps and charts, pins marking the path they should have taken days ago. The only heat and light in the room came from a spinning lamp in the corner that cast long dark shadows over everything. One of the men was talking with ice in his voice. Look, I don't care about the fucking mission right now. If we don't move on tomorrow, we're all going to die. We need help. The officer was young, too young perhaps to have him promoted to chauffeur. Exasperated, he ripped off his hat and ran a hand through his blonde hair. The older man noticed his lapse in discipline. We have our orders, one of them replied, his voice a flat monotone. We are to hold the bridge until further orders are given. We cannot give in to the Bolsheviks. As he spoke, the pasty skin of his jowls quivered. One lock of the grain hair stuck out from underneath the brim of his cap. What bridge? The chauffeur cried, ignoring the man's higher rank. Look at it. He strolled across the tent and threw the flap open. A blast of horrifyingly cold air forced its way into the room, but the officers did not react. The snow had paused for the moment, and through the thinning clouds, a half moon shone fiercely. The undisturbed snow reflected the light into a pale blue sheen across the land. Just beyond the perimeter of the camp, the one lazy river was now frozen, a thin crust of ice and snow separating the air from the rushing waters beneath. Jutting up from the bright expanse were shattered pieces of masonry, shard, and humbled. For 300 years, that bridge stood tall, but all it took was one Piatlikov to flatten it and kill half a goddamn section as well. Look, we can't cross here, but there's another bridge just a day's travel south of here. Day and a night, tops in this weather. When they know of our situation, they will send engineers to rebuild the bridge, another man said his skin pale white from the days of cold, and the oncoming illness that would be his death, he was also higher rank than the youth. And just when will they know of our situation, Stormfuhrer? We haven't had radio contact in days, have we? We are on our own here. It is time to take action. Stewards, Ms. Martin, how long will our provisions last? The pasty skin standard younger asked, ignoring the Sharfuhrer. The timid, diminutive quartermaster looked up from the corner we had been sitting quietly. He spoke with a mild, stuttering shiver. We, we have food for four days. Six if we start seriously rationing. Ammunition is fine. We haven't fired a single shot in weeks. The petrol is frozen solid in the trucks though, and as for the naphtha, he gestured at the spinning flame, the tanks ran dry this evening. What is currently in the furnaces is, is, all, is all we have. What about water? The pale stump viewer asked. The man shrugged, his unornamental lapels lifting and dropping with a futile little rustle of fabric. I, I couldn't say. Until now, we've been melting snow with the naphtha, but I guess we'll have to start drawing dirty water from the river. We have no chance of digging a well in these conditions. The chauffeur quietly looked out of the flap at the heap of the camp's edge. Wells weren't the only thing that they were having difficulty with digging into the frozen, hard ground and the pile preserved ice-white bodies had been steadily growing over the past few weeks. Unable to rot in the cold, their gleaming pale skin was naked where people had harvested the clothes in an attempt to stay warm. As the steadily increasing mortality rate showed, it was a tactic that seldom worked. We have enough to survive for at least a week then, 
Make sure we do. Oh, and Sharfur, the standard Yunker called the star the Sharfur turned to face him. You're dismissed. Be sure to close the tent on your way out, won't you? He said mockingly, tossing the cap to the youth. Glaring at the older man, he firmly forced it onto his head and stepped out into the snow, purposefully leaving the door open. With each step, his leather boots crunched knee-deep into the icy crust. The clouds had gone now, blown away by the same fierce wind that now rattled the tent poles and sucked at the canvas, bringing a thousand diamonds of ice stinging into his cheeks with each raging gust. Sharfur, the officers are Arschlocks, no? The youth stopped walking, glancing up from the snow-bound path ahead of him, searching for the source of the voice. He didn't recognize it. Most of his men were from bigger cities, harsh in voice and temperament. The voice he had heard, though, was sophisticated, cultured. Carefully, the officer readied his pistol. Behind you, Sharfur. He turned and saw a dark form standing in the shadow of a tent. Slowly, he walked towards the figure. Identify yourself, soldier. The man stepped towards into the light of the moon and, for a second, the young officer was unable to believe his eyes. With shaking, numb fingers, he struck a match and, by the wavering long yellow flame, looked upon the face of a dead man. Rotten for your Pfeiffer? I, I saw the bombs fall. I saw them drag you out of the water, lungs full of water and a belly full of shrapnel. Y you're dead. You, you can't be here. A temporary setback, the man drawled in his aristocratic tongue. Touch me, Sharfur, and you will see that I am here. The dead man held out one hand, and tentatively, the officer took it. The corpse was warm. Not just warm, really, but hot. Near painfully so. His skin felt like as if fires were raging beneath the surface, only just held at bay by the scapegoat bull of the man's skin. Terrified, the youth tore his hand away from the cadaver's grip and noticed that the ground around the two of the men was steaming, snow melting, and leaving the floor a, sh a shiny quagmire of new, saturated mud. Y you! You're not real! The officer exclaimed. And yet, I am, the dead man replied. His eyes still looked glassy and blind on the edge of rotting. The Sharfier looked over to the towering pyramid of unburied bodies. Was it his imagination, or did it look like a couple were missing? The glassy dead-eyed followed his gaze. I am flesh, like you, Sharfier. If you look at the heap, you will not find me there. What are you? He gasped out, terror clutching about his heart like the icy, asphyxiating mantle of snow that enveloped the heap of dead men. Men his leadership had killed. The corpse shrugged. We are legion, Sharfur. Dear Christ, are you, are you the devil? The man laughed, a dry, croaking sort of laugh that sounded airless and gasped out of his mouth. On the breath, the faintest order of dry rot was carried. The officer wrapped his hand around the well-worn grip of the automatic pistol in the holster at his hip. We may not be the devil, Sharfur, but we're closely related enough to him that the peace shooter you're clutching will do nothing but anger us. And we are not a group you want to anger. 
Now, we have a proposal for you. One that will not cost the lives of a single man in your service. Make your offer, demon, the Sharfier said. Normally, he would have wanted to talk inside, but the snow that had started to fall again now melted into a thin mist of drizzle as it approached the two of them. The officer didn't take his hand off his pistol. Let's take this inside, shall we? We don't feel the cold so much, he said, reaching out of the circle of warmth and plunging his bare hand down into the deep snow up to his elbow, the ground frozen from days before at his side. He never broke eye contact, but you do, he continued. The two men then entered the tent. So, you will build me a bridge? The dead man nodded. We will. You have dozens of ready hosts out there that we can use. can be done by morning. Where will the materials come from? The cadaver shrugged. It won't be a problem. And what payment do you require? My grandfather always said that when you deal with the devil, you have to pay the price. A wise man. We require a soul. The man shivered at the way the corpse uttered the word. What business do you have with souls when you yourself lack one, he thought. As the man was warming up, the smell of rot was becoming far, far stronger than previously, to the point where the Sharfuhrer began to feel a gag coming on. Any soul? Any would do. We will harvest the soul of the first man to cross the bridge. But you said that this does not require the death of a single man in my service. And that is true. I believe there are three officers at this camp? Four. The two sat in silence for a couple of minutes. The Sharfier wondered where the smell of Pfeiffer's reanimated body would linger in the tent after he was gone. Do I have your agreement, Sharfier? The man nodded. The officer wondered whether it was just a clever trick or true. Evil magic that the corpse used to produce a pre-written contract and a quill pen tipped with a single ruby drop of fresh blood. The officer did not sleep that night, the sounds of the dead laboring away at the edge of the river, keeping him away from what would have been, he had no doubt, uneasy dreams. Eventually, a rosy finger of dawn light broke through the seam of his tent, and not bothering to clothe himself, he walked out and into the snow. More snow had fallen, the deep whiteness reached up to his thighs, soaking up his thin pajamas through. The heap was gone. A little rough rectangle of bare ground with footsteps leaning away. The man faltered and tripped, plunging whole body into the snow. It sure was a fine bridge ahead of him. Three long Roman arches across the water. A few broken spires from the previous structure still poked out of the ice, though the red bricks of the new construction seemed entirely unrelated from the older, late medieval structure. Strangely, the ice seemed entirely smooth, unbroken, and treacherously clear. Underneath the frosty glass, the sharp fury could see the supports, where algae seemed already to have been growing for years despite the youth of the bridge. The officer had been dreading seeing the dead on his final walk, but mercifully, they weren't there. He reached the perimeter gate and saw that the guards were still asleep, just as well. He didn't want there to be any witnesses to what happened next. The smooth paving of the bridge had just barest, had just a barest dusting of snow. The newly laid tarmac, modern and high quality, 
The man whispered one final prayer and, eyes closed, stepped onto the bridge. When his eyes opened, he was looking into the eyes of the dead, not just the eyes of the Pfeiffer, but the eyes of all the dead at the camp, their flesh now sloughing off as the skin discolored and their faces drooping heavy with death. The thing controlling Pfeiffer's form smiled and, plunging a hand into the soft flesh of the Sharfiri's stomach, shrieked with all the ancient anger of the thousand demons that made up Legion. The dead fell upon the officer, fingers grasping and claws tearing. Officially, the Sharfiri died of suicide by hanging. What the officers left out of the report was that the young officer had been hanged from the bridge by his own intestines. His belly torn open with savage force and his scalp ripped off. His face was left intact, save for his lower jaw, which, by the account of the camp medic, had been bitten clean in half by human teeth. The upper mandible was missing all its teeth, and it looked as if they had been pulled out while the officer was still alive, and worse, conscious. As it happened, his self-sacrifice was in vain. Just two days after, as the men trudged to what they were told was safety, two Petnikov dive bombers attacked the soldiers, one of which was flown by the same pilot who had bombed the bridge days earlier, killing all but two men, the pasty-skinned starting Junker and the junior soldier. The starting Junker ended up killing the man to survive in the cold, planning to cannibalize him when he was captured, tortured, and executed by Soviet forces. So they all dead. They all died for no fucking reason. This is this is like fuck it. I'm gonna sacrifice myself. I'm gonna sacrifice myself for the man. Nothing happened. Still get bombed. Uh, Still get bombed. He got eaten alive. Horrible. I don't know how to respond to that. What the fuck? I would have just left the bridge. I would have just stayed quiet. Let the first motherfucker. I would have asked someone I didn't like to cross the bridge. Like I told, hey Josh, go across the bridge real quick. Oh fuck. Hey, hey Greg, go check if the bridge is clear. <laughs> that was die Tifus Brook. Alright, now moving on to the next story titled The Woman in the Oven. During the summer of nineteen eighty three, in a quiet town near Minneapolis, Minnesota. The charred body of a woman was found inside the kitchen snow, the kitchen stove of a small farmhouse. A video camera was found in the kitchen, standing on a tripod, pointing at the oven. No tape was found inside the camera at the time. Although the scene was originally labeled as a homicide by police, an unmarked VHS tape was later discovered at the bottom of the farm's well which had apparently dried up earlier that year. Despite the worn condition and the fact that it contained no audio, police were still able to view the contents of the tape. It depicted a woman recording herself in the front of a video camera, seemingly, seemingly using the same camera that the police found in the kitchen. After positioning the camera to include both her and her kitchen stove in its view, she turned on the oven opened the door, crawled inside, and then closed the door behind her. After eight minutes into the video, 
the oven could be seen shaking violently. At this point, thick black smoke and that emanated from it. For the remaining 45 minutes of the video until the batteries and the camera died, it remained in its stationary position. To avoid disturbing the local community, the police never released any information about the tape or even the fact that it was found. Police were not able to determine who put the tape in the well or why the height and the stature of the woman in the video did not even come close to matching the body that they had found in the oven. What the fuck did Wait, you just read? Where did the story take place? It was in uh, Minnesota. It gets really fucking cold in Minnesota, to be fair. <laughs> you piece of shit. That's literally what they're you, thinking. You piece of shit. <laughs> I'm just saying. And my heater ain't working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck it. You got an oven. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this this year Minnesota was colder than Antarctica. You're kidding me. It was it was Minnesota, right? It was Minnesota or New or Boston. It was one of those two. I thought it was New. I thought it was New York. You're talking about where the polar vortex was. Yeah. Was in sounds uh, like New York. Yeah, but Minnesota gets stupid cold, and I, yeah. I'm almost positive or was it Chicago? Yeah, and people were jumping into their ovens. I heard. <laughs> That's horrible, dude. What the fuck? That's a horrible story. I'm more curious to see who the fuck put the VHS tape in the well. <laughs> Whose body they found? What happened to the body? What happened to the lady that was in there for 45 minutes? Yeah. That's how they used to get tans back in the day. You just... <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> the the tanning booth. Just, just, just throw themselves in the Hey, I'm noticing oven. a trend with your stories, Achi. They're each getting more and more fucked up. So I'm kind of scared about the third one. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that one. You need to come up with some Inception shit. We are the story. Is your oh, next shit. is your next one Moses about Overlord or? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen over, I wanted to watch Overlord so bad. Have you brother, guys watched it? But your brother talked me out of it. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it, so I can't comment. Did your brother talk you out of it too? No. Yes. I, that was that looked, bad? That movie looked like it was made for me. What's Overlord? Overlord, Overlord is a World War Two movie where some dude is experimenting on humans and monsters, and this dude goes inside a bunker and he's trying to kill these monsters like Doom style. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's it's like Nazis though, right? Like yeah. the people being experimented on or getting experimented by Nazis. Is it? I don't no? know. I haven't seen I it. Know. I don't know. Overlord. It's a good. it's a good movie. Rated sounds R. like a good. Sounds, what? Huh? I don't know. Celebrated. <laughs> R. All right. My next story. Again, has no title. I mean, has no author. But it's called Love. Oh. Uh-huh. Get shit out of here, son. This is not meant to scare anyone. Calling it a creepy story would be a bit of an insult, because it isn't one. This is an expression of gratitude toward a friend, a friend who was always there for me. He watched over me as I was growing up, and was the best friend any kid could ever have, even if I didn't recognize it at the time. He was always there, even though I couldn't see him, and he was always acting in my best interests even if I couldn't understand. 
I'd like to take some time to share with you our story because if you're lucky, you might have a friend like this too. I think I should let you read his letter first. In May of 2010, I bought a new computer and took my old one to the shop to have everything backed up. I brought the new computer home and had begun restoring my files from my portable hard drive and reinstalling programs when I noticed that there was a file in the miscellaneous folder that the shop's technician had created for files with no other place. It was called Happy Birthday Baby, period, text, period. Initially, I thought it was a message my mom had written for me that I'd never read as intended, but I opened it and this is what I found. You might find this one day. I'm not great at this computer stuff, but I've watched you tinkering with this machine lately and I think I know how to say this so that you'll find it. Seeing, seeing as it's time for me to go, I want to leave you this last little message. I know you never met your father, but to me, he was Colonel Marcus Andrew Stadfield, as I'm sure your mother told you. He was a good man, one with the pride of a lion, the strength of a bear, and a heart of pure gold. Truth is, I was almost like his son long before you were born. I was his second in command and served with him for three years. I watched as your mother wept when she heard the news, her belly swollen with your soon-to-be debut into this world, and I stayed with her every second of every day. That was until the day you came into the world, then my focus shifted to you. I watched as they cleaned you and handed you to your mother, and she seemed to look right at me with a knowing eyes that stood over the both of you almost as if she had known along. And I'd be willing to bet my last penny she did. I've watched you grow and I remember everything, even the things you don't. You were always such a happy baby and you had seemed to have inherited your father's sense of humor. When you were getting to be four months old, you would do just about everything to hinder your mother's attempts at changing you, laughing all the while. You were a wild one at heart, just as you are today just like Marcus. When you were about six months old, we would play all the time. We had one game in particular where I would grab your toes and tickle your belly. You would love it, though when your mother came in, I'd have to stop. And it always perplexed her as to why you'd abruptly start crying. After a while, she seemed to think you didn't like her, which is when I realized that I had to back away some. When you were one year old, you seemed to develop a sixth sense for me, and although you couldn't really see me so much or so well anymore, you knew I was there. I couldn't play with you as much as before because I knew it would only hurt you in the long run, but I always kept guard. I knew you remembered seeing me because you had a way of testing my presence. You'd throw toys into the corner where I stood and then wait to see if I would play with them. Now, I know you won't remember this, but once you threw a bear and a rag doll at me, and because your mother was busy in the kitchen making dinner, I kept you entertained by putting on a little show. It was nothing special. I just made them dance a little. You were laughing loudly and your mom came in to see what was so funny, but when she saw, she wasn't laughing. I bet you could mention the bear and rag doll dance even today and the color would run right out of her cheeks. But do me a favor and don't. I think it would be kinder to ask if you ever threw toys into the corner. That isn't quite as bad a memory for her as the dancing is. 
Do you remember your first word? I do. Love. <laughs> your mother made damned well sure you knew how much you were cherished by her. Every moment of every day, she would always say, Love you, baby. I remember you tugging at my heartstrings, something awful once. When your mother was changing you in the bathroom this one time, you seemed to have caught my reflection in the mirror behind her and you pointed and said, Love. Well, more of a love, but your mother knew. And she laughed and affirmed it. It was your only word for a time, but as I walked out of the reflection, you started getting reckless and I knew again that I had to be more stealthy. You were growing more and more every day and I couldn't afford to break my promise to your father, which is why I would have to retreat yet again. I broke the rules many times to protect you, for that promise to your father was everything to me. I remember when you were three and had mastered walking, you were a regular little scout. You could never keep still. Those little legs had opened up a whole new world to you and you weren't shy at all about exploring it. One day you were with your mother in the market and a lady with a shiny purse caught your eye. You went running after her, just as another shopper was running with a trolley in front of her, coming the other way. She didn't spot you and because you were running after the purse, you didn't see her either. Breaking the rules was not allowed, but allowing you to get hurt wasn't permittable either. By the time you noticed her, it was already too late, and you fell on your bottom before you could scamper out of her way. Left without any other option, I sent that trolley flying to the side of a freezer, and as it crashed, that woman screamed blue murder, A MAN IN A UNIFORM! She screamed. You simply giggled as the crowd gathered and your mother came running. When she found you at the scene, you were safe and sound, and you pointed to the trolley that had smashed the freezer window. You know what you said to her then? Love, mommy. I was hiding by then, embarrassed to have created such a scene, though I have to admit I was laughing on the inside. As you grew and became more aware, so did I, and I finally knew when I could and couldn't intervene. Doing too much would hurt the both of us. So I chose my moments carefully. You were a smart kid, just like your father, and most of the time you knew how to handle any and every situation. If there was an option, you took it, though I slipped up a few times as you were growing up. I do think I did well to keep an eye on you. It was just the little things to make your life a bit easier. Things you probably won't remember. Like putting your piano music sheets into your bag at night, turning off your television when you fell asleep, pulling the sheets over you on the colder nights, sorting your drawers, setting your alarm, closing your windows and door. You caught me doing one or two of these things a few times and I want to take time now to apologize for scaring you. This one time you were doing your homework and fell asleep at your desk, so I filled in all the answers for your math quiz. You'd made such a fuss to your mother earlier about how strict the teacher was about homework and I knew you knew the answers anyways, but you suspected more than ever when you woke up and found that whole half sheet you left incomplete was done. You were older and had forgotten that we were friends. Things you saw in the media about ghosts scared you and you had every right to be afraid. I just want to say I'm sorry. I never meant to make you cry. If only I had taken a little extra care, you'd never have known. I just wanted to keep you safe and happy. 
As you matured, you began to take form as the little lady, and as such, and you began to know the evil of men. Though you had your wits about you, you were always taking stupid risks, and watching over you became a little more of a worry for me. Gradually, I had to expose myself more and more, most memorably that night when that no good boy you brought home started putting the moves on you. Your mother was at work, he was only after one thing, and although I knew it wasn't my place to choose for you, you were still only a baby girl. Just 15 years old. As he got on top of you and started undressing you, took his top off and began whispering those sweet nothings, your face said it all. You were scared, and when you told him to stop and he wouldn't, and when you tried to push him off and he got angry, when he struck you and finally tried to put his hand up your skirt, all the evil I kept inside of me broke free at that moment, and it was something I couldn't control. My rage boiled over as I began to growl. The lights flickering, the TV volume rising, the doors and windows crashing open and shut. The keys on your piano began to rattle with your father's roar. I yelled, Get out of the house, boy! He ran out of that room and you tried to follow, but I slammed that door in your face and wouldn't let the handle go until your mother pulled into the driveway. I'm so sorry, kid. That whole thing traumatized you for a while. You became more frightened of me than ever, having such an experience, and I knew from then on, in spite of how much I loved you, we could never be friends. Not after what I'd done. Some nights you used to sit awake late in the evening watching for me, and I'd have to sit in the darkest corner looking right back at you, unable to reassure you that I wasn't here to cause you harm. You used to scream, I hate you, get out, leave me alone. And just as you used to do as a toddler, you would throw things into my corner, only instead of toys for me to play with, this time it was heavy books, CD cases, anything you could get your hands on to get me to move. You used to sit in your bed watching that corner. I always felt terrible about what I did. I'd almost broken that promise to your father, but more importantly, I'd almost broken the personal promise I'd made to you. It was like that until the night you tried to make peace with me. That night you sat up in your bed and said, If you're here, I'm sorry. You're only trying to stop him. I wanted to say something, but I couldn't. Even as you shuffled around nervously and called, You're here, right? Could you show me a sign? I wanted so badly to give you something, anything to show you I was there, and that I'd heard that, but fearing that you would lose it if I did, I kept silent and just nodded in that dark corner where you couldn't see me. You have to know I was never mad at you, you were just a little girl and that little prick tipped me over the edge. Promise me you'll never do anything like that again, won't you? It's your 18th birthday today which is exactly why I'm writing this to you. I want to wish you a happy birthday. I'm sure your dad's getting sick of keeping that bar stool open for me. Live a good life, try not to forget about me, and know you turned out great. Your father would be so proud of you. This letter is my present to you, and don't you worry about the spooky corner anymore. My final order is complete. 
I don't know about you, but I think this trooper deserves a drink. You were such a handful. If you find this one day, try calling out to me. Take care, be safe, and live a happy life. Love, Lieutenant Ashley Gilchrist. P.S. If you call out my name, call me what you used to call me as a kid. That always got me to come running. I was gobsmacked when I read this letter. Everything finally made sense. All the things that happened when I was growing up, I'd always thought I was seeing things until that day when my ex-boyfriend almost raped me. I'll be the first to admit that I was scared of him because I didn't understand what he was, why he was there or what he was after. But now I see that I had it all wrong. A few days after reading the letter, I asked my mom a few questions about the spooky things that happened when I was growing up. She was very nonchalant about the whole thing, until I mentioned what happened in the market. There, she stopped cleaning, set her cloth, turned to me and smiled. You always had a guardian angel watching over you, honey. I don't know if it was your father or not, but who or whatever it was made sure nothing bad ever really happened to you. As she turned around and began cleaning the dishes, she asked, so I guess you met it then, right? Your spirit friend? Not exactly. He left something for me. I went upstairs, brought my laptop down, and showed her the letter on my computer. My mother was crying by the time she finished, and she told me all about my dad's friend. He was a kind boy. Mark brought him home once to meet me, and he had a certain thing about him. That man was as loyal as a dog to your father. He had a love and respect for him that even I was intimidated by at times. When he came to our home on leave, Marcus nearly had to order him to make himself at home. And he even had to be asked to take his uniform off. He looked up to Marcus almost like a boy looks up to his father. I don't really know his background, but I remember your father telling me that he was a good drinking partner, a fine soldier, and an invaluable friend. She took a deep breath and choked back a few of her tears before continuing on. They found that poor boy and your father all alone in a building that had been overrun by their enemy. They had been out on recon, and their team got separated when they came under fire. The rest of the boys on your father's team survived, but those two weren't so lucky. The way they found them was peculiar. She swallowed heavily. Looked me right in the eye and said, that boy was found on top of your father, riddled with bullets. He was shielding him right up until the moment he died. He could have gotten away, but he refused to leave your injured father's side. With that, we both burst into tears. Love. That's exactly what he was. He was a guardian. I never had any reason to be afraid of him, and I'd have given anything just to tell him I was sorry, that I loved him back. I had no right to have done all those terrible things I did to him at the end. I realized that I that he had loved my father so much, not even death could keep him from that promise he'd mentioned in the letter. When I asked what the promise was, my mother looked at me and with tears in her eyes said, it was made in this very house while they were setting up your room. It was just, no matter what happens, promise me. You'll watch over my daughter.
Now that's love. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wait, bro. Talk to me about the. Bro, I got goosebumps rereading oh, it again. Oh, shit. Talk to me about the ending. What do you mean? Where is. What do you say? It was made in this very house while they were setting up your room. What was made in the very house? Oh, that promise. This is the promise the, the dad told the son, told uh, Ashley. No matter what happens, promise me you'll watch over my daughter. They were just nonchalantly talking, and uh, Ashley took it to heart. Fuck. Damn. That's so, a good story. So her father and this guy, the guardian angel, they were lovers, right? That's what, it, <laughs> that's what I took from it. That's what you took from it? Yeah, that's what I took. It's Broke love. Mountain? Yeah, that kind of love. Okay. Guy in love. This, this story reminded me of you, though, Moses. What? Because you like to grab my toes and tickle my belly, too. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I didn't expect that one. <laughs> Holy shit, okay. Uh, wow, but overall, that was a great story. Holy shit. That was that's, a good one. That's I was, a good one. Towards was, the end, I was like, don't cry, don't cry. Dude, <laughs> don't cry. My voice, was, start, cry. My voice was starting to break towards oh, the end. Oh, shit. Catching like, the feels? It, it, it did. It really did. I have like a long sleeve, but like I had goosebumps towards the end when yeah. I was reading it. Holy shit. Was I loved it. And believe it or not, this was the highest rated story on Creepypasta. The highest rated story? Yeah. As... Yeah. Oh, I think close to six thousand like votes on it. Yeah, and it's like nine point seven. It's almost a perfect score. Holy shit! It's almost a perfect score. So, so whoever wrote love, I'm sorry, I couldn't find your your name on there, but I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put it up the show notes up on the show notes, and it's called just love. Love, dude, that was a so people love sensitive stories. I wanted to switch it up a bit. I wanted to I wanted I needed to switch yeah, it up a bit, especially ending with mine. It's, it's, well, I mean, especially after <laughs> the Nazi zombies. You know what uh, I mean? And I'll finish it off. I don't know. Fuck I, me yeah. up, Archie. I, what? I'm ready. Fuck, my brother's still like, oh, with his mouth open. Dude, it's a really good story. I want to hear more. <laughs> I want... Hey, hey, shut up and make it into a movie, yeah? To like an animated movie, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's an anime. Holy shit. Okay, to, my to, bad. To Carry one, on, buddy. It's a one-season anime. Oh, fucking it's a Netflix voice. original. It's a Netflix <laughs> original. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to switch it up a bit. The last two stories were, were actually from Creepypasta. This last one is from one of my all-time favorite YouTube channels, Llama Arts. You said Llama Arts, right? Llama Arts. Yeah. That's yeah. the dude that draws his own stories? He does that. He gets stories from other people, and then uh, he animates them. What? It was really, really freaking sick. And so, it was one of my all-time favorite stories, too. It's called A Creepy Ghost Hunting Story. This happened about five years ago when I was 21. Me and my friend Seth downloaded this app that showed you ghosts. We go out ghost hunting, but not much would happen. Sometimes a dot would appear on one of our phones that would say random words. We would ask, you know, stupid stuff like, how'd you die? Sometimes answers lined up, but to be honest, it was just really random. One night, around 2 a.m., Seth suggested going to the cemetery to see if the app picked anything up. I was hesitant, but I nervously agreed. We started making our way through the neighborhood towards the cemetery. It was weird because normally the streets are lined up with cars, but on this night, it was completely empty. We walked down the middle of the road with the app running, 
but we weren't picking anything up. We finally made it to the cemetery, which was a small, family-owned one where they would only bury their own. Seth went up to the gate and started shouting, hoping to get a response. But the app didn't say anything. I was standing on the road feeling unsettled when Seth started yelling, Is that all you got? Tona stopped disrespecting the dead as we should leave. He tried being funny saying, Oh, I'll make them show up. And jumped the gate and started stomping on the graves while screaming. Come on, show us something. All of a sudden, our phones go off at the same exact time. I looked down at my phone and there it was. A message. It said, Afraid. We both just stood there, looking at each other. And then ten or so dots just appeared on the radar out of nowhere. And then it said again, Are you afraid? When I looked back at my phone, Seth was next to me and I said, Dude, we have to go. Now. As soon as I said that, I could hear the streetlights turning off one by one at the top of the street going faster and faster to us. We took off running at first as we could. We only got halfway through the neighborhood before we were running out of breath and we stopped. I felt like I was going to throw up from being so scared and so winded. And then I heard my phone say something. It was muffled, but I knew what it said. Being too scared to look at my phone, I looked at Seth, who looked terrified. He nodded at me to get my phone out. So then, I slowly pulled it out, and then it said my name across the top. Turned my phone off and I said, screw this, I'm fucking done. We made our way back to the house and had a sig to calm down. We were talking about what just happened and almost not believing it. Then I heard my phone again. This time, it said my sister's name. We just stood there frozen, not saying a word. And then it went off again. Now this time it said my brother's name. I took my phone out, turned it on, and deleted the app. I asked Seth to spend the night, but he refused. And to be honest, I can't blame him. When I finally got to sleep that night, I dreamt a muffled voice repeating a word over and over. I started to wake up, and the words became clearer. The weird part about this all is that my phone was off and the battery was out. But when I turned it over, it was completely lit up with the app still running. And it had a red dot about six feet away from me, still uttering the same word. Are you afraid?
I woke up the next morning and went to the bathroom. And I had a thin razor cut from my left shoulder all the way down to my right hip. To be honest, I don't know what happened that night. And luckily, nothing has happened to me since. But I don't mess with any of that stuff anymore. Damn! First of all, my brother's gonna be the Seth of our group if we ever do some shit like that. What the fuck? <laughs> Show me something, you prick! Nah, um, that's him. That's true. Um, that's true. You did. I'm the complete opposite. That's true. You did sneak into the Downey and Santa's time to take a picture with our merch for Lo- a photo shoot. Lo- shout Lo- out those. Shout out those. It was a good one though. But it was yeah, ballsy. It was ballsy. But you probably do it. This is based on my story. What? What? No, just kidding. Oh, you <laughs> stupid bitch. <laughs> you stupid uh, bitch. That's funny. Well, this next story. It's called Never Use a Sleep Recorder While You're Asleep by Christopher Maxim. I'm going to need you to explain. This guy went above and beyond. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, he did. Explain. Explain what you did for the story. Or do you want to explain after? No, explain after. Explain Explain what you think. All right. I. So I get up this morning and it's like 830 in the morning. We come to the studio. This dude's playing darts, listening to himself. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? He's like, oh, I finished recording the story. We weren't supposed to record the story. And then he told me, oh, I recorded myself at 4, at four, 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 four o'clock this morning. I was like, why the fuck did you wake up so early? And then he told me, oh, that's kind of like the scary story. I'm I'm assuming, because I heard some of the story, and I'm not trying to, I heard a little bit of it. Not not a lot, but I heard a little bit of it. And the thing, the, the story is called, like my brother just said, never use a sleep recorder while you're asleep. So... I'm, I'm assuming the story's taking place with him recording, like the story's his narration recorded on the phone. And that's what my brother did. He woke up at four in the morning. This fucking Christian Bell method acting piece of shit woke up and recorded a story at four in the morning. That's my guess. He's probably gonna come out to like, oh, I was playing Smite all morning, all night, shit. and I didn't realize what time it was. I'm like, shit, I know if I go to bed, I'm not gonna be able to wake up in time. So let me work on it right now. That's exactly <laughs> it. Wait, really? I tend to leave shit last last minute. And I told myself yesterday, I was like, look, you're going to stop playing. But it wasn't Smite. It was Destiny. I was like, you're going to stop playing at 6 p.m. You're going to work on the shit you need to work on for the podcast. Right? Because I haven't done anything. And I'm like, fuck. And then I looked at the time. It was midnight. I was like, fuck. In 12 hours. I got to. I need two stories. I need to find music. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just nap for about two, three hours, wake up, and work on it. And then I came across this story. That The story, it's not him recording himself. I gave that a little twist of uh, me. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. So, you're wrong. All right. So, what's the story called? Man, I'm not <laughs> excited for this shit anymore. You ruined it for me. Well, but, but said, it came out pretty. I think so. It came out pretty cool. Uh, the story is called Never Use a Sleep Recorder While You're Asleep by Christopher Maxim.
I don't know why I'm doing this, but if you're hearing this, this is a, well, my voice recording. Um, where to begin? Well, I am uh, what you call a chronic sleep talker. I've always been. Everyone who's ever slept in the same house as me will tell you that. My parents, siblings, friends, and especially my exes, they're the ones who got near full. It was something we laugh about in the morning, because most of what I say will be incoherent or nonsensical. Some of my famous lines include, there's too many helicopters in the pool. My balloon's on the wrong foot. To be honest, it never bothered anyone around me. My friends, family, pretty much just got a kick out of it, which fine, I guess. One day I worked, the subject of sleeping came up. My coworkers threw stories back and forth about some of the weirdest dreams, so I decided to chime in about my sleep antics. Everyone laughed as I rattled off some of the crazier shit I said while I was asleep. One of my co-workers, name's Bill, really got a laugh out of it. After he finished hyperventilating, he told me that I should set up a voice recorder while I sleep so that I can play it back at work every morning. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't think it was a bad idea. So... That night, I downloaded a decent voice recording app on my phone and placed it on my nightstand before I went to bed. Being single and living alone, I had no way of knowing what I said in my sleep anymore, so I was actually looking forward to hearing what it would pick up. It would be a humorous way to start my, well, otherwise dull mornings. For two months, I recorded a lot of great stuff one night in particular, I kept screaming, almost as if I was running from something in my dream. But after a few minutes, I, I said, bad fridge, bad fridge. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't stop laughing at that one. I needed to cut my coworkers when I showed them. <laughs> Eventually, the the app picked up something unsettling. Listening to the audio for any trace of funny banter I might find, I heard a loud bang. It sounded like a door being slammed shut with great force, and hearing that, my heart sank. I wonder if, I wonder if an intruder had made the way into my home. Fuck, I don't know. I mean, my house. Is a small cottage on the outskirts of town, and I, and I was able to get great price to its location and age. As such, some of its components are antiquated. I knew after hearing the recording that only two sturdy doors enough to make that loud thud or that of the attic and the basement. Fuck, I hate basements. Basements and attics have always freaked me out. I never liked to go near them as a kid. I still don't as a fucking adult. They terrify me. The ones in my house and even so more. Something about them being old. 
made them all the more sinister. Despite of my fear, I had to make sure no one was in the house. <laughs> I got him out of bed and headed straight for the basement. As that was the door closest to my bedroom, I hesitantly, I hesitantly opened the door and descended into my home's depths. Of course, I was nervous, but I was desperate for some peace of mind. The basement. It was empty. I quickly ran back up to the first floor and proceeded to the journeys upstairs. Once I reached the attic door, I froze. As much as basements make my skin crawl, I find attics to be far worse. Maybe it was because they were always a big unknown to me. I, I mean, I, I had only been to an attic once in my whole life. That was how my dad unloaded some Christmas decorations, and even then, I was, I was fucking spooked. Because of my phobia, I, I installed a dead bolt on the door when I moved in. I know, I know, it sounds, sounds, sounds foolish, but hey, it helps me sleep at night. Looking at the door, I noticed the dead bolt was still locked. An intruder could have gone in and then relocked it on the way out, but... Uh, at least I knew they weren't in there anymore. I mean, this was my excuse not to go inside. I went back downstairs and put the noise out of my mind and forgetting all about this loud fucking bang. I continued to record at night in the hopes of catching more sleep talking. And I did. And it wasn't hilarious. The night after I recorded the noise, the only thing I said the whole night was, Where are you? I mean, I didn't pay any mind to it, as I've said similar things in my sleep before, but since I heard the following night's recording that I became alarmed, I said the same thing. Where are you? Only this time it was followed by a strange, static sound. This was odd, but I chalked up to the coincidence and a phone malfunction. I quickly discovered that neither of these things were to blame. And at night, every night after that, I almost got the exact same thing. I would ask, where are you? And then I get some of the static interference. I, I, I couldn't explain it and left me rather frazzled. I showed my co-workers, but they, they weren't able to offer me any insight. I thought, I thought about not recording anymore, but, but knowing would make me more uneasy. But not knowing would make me more uneasy. I wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on. I, 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 I had to. And then, one night, I caught something different. Listening to the audio intently, I heard two distinct things. During a two-minute stretch and the recording, there were footsteps in the background, almost as if someone was pacing. It was very faint, but it was most certainly there. The second thing I heard was me asking the same question. Where are you? Only this time I received a response. It was a low whisper, but I could make it out. It said... 
them upstairs. Deeply unnerved by my findings, I set up the app again the next night. I also took the liberty of setting up two digital cameras, one in my room and the one facing the attic door. After adjusting the light settings on each, I felt confident in my approach. I didn't have time to deal with this bullshit, so I wanted nothing more than to get it sorted out. Somehow, unfortunately for me, it just wasn't that simple. I slept through the night, like normal of course, but I did have a weird dream. In my dream, I was at home. I was sitting on my couch watching TV when I heard a scratching coming from upstairs. Naturally, I assumed it was a mice, but as I sat there, the noise grew louder and louder. It eventually morphed into a horrendous knocking sound. That's when I got up to investigate. I made my way to the attic door and the noise ceased. I stood there for a moment expecting to start up again, but it didn't. Complete silence for what felt like a few minutes, and then, without warning, a loud clicking sound broke the tension the deadbolt had unlocked itself. That's when I woke up to the sound of my alarm going off. I immediately got up and gathered the cameras as well as my phone. I was eager to see if they captured anything. And they did, but it left me with more questions. Halfway through the audio on both my phone and the camera in my room, I heard once again, Where are you? There was no response, no static, but there was just a loud bang, just like the one I caught before. But this time it was more distinct. It was most certainly a door being slammed shut, so I quickly grabbed the second camera and began looking through the footage. The attic door never opened. Instead, I heard the banging in the background ever so faintly. Given the volume in each of the clips, it seemed as though it might have been the basement door. After skimming through the rest of the footage, finding nothing else out of the ordinary, I, I decided to check the basement again. With a mixture of nerves and adrenaline, I, I ran over to the basement door and swung it open. I hurried downstairs and turned the light on. I was fed up and a little annoyed, thinking someone was somehow having a laugh at my expense. However, when the room lit up, I was greeted with the familiar sight of an unfurnished basement. It was completely empty, no intruder, no answers. Frustrated. I went off to work and I tried to keep my mind off my odd dilemma, but that proved to be a difficult task. I kept playing out different scenarios in my head during the day, but nothing made sense. The only logical, though somewhat illogical explanation that I could come with was that I was being harassed by a spirit. I didn't want to give in to that notion, but I was running out of ideas. I tried talk with one of my co-workers again in the hopes that they would tell me it was nothing to worry about but instead I received the opposite one of my co-workers told me to call the cops and have them look through the house for signs of a break-in another told me I should stay at a friend's house Bill told me to abandon the house and run for the hills 
I mean, he was only joking, but it didn't make me feel any better about the matter. And things took a turn for the bizarre when I arrived home that day. Opening the front door to the cottage, I stepped in and set my jacket down on the couch. I then plopped down in an attempt to unwind, and immediately after sitting, I heard the bang again. But this time, it was clear as day. It was the same sound from the audio and footage, but this time I was hearing it in person. I jumped up and looked straight ahead at the basement door and you could see it from the couch. It had been in my line of sight the entire fucking time. Though I hadn't been looking directly at it, I was fairly certain it hadn't moved. But still, the bang definitely came from that direction. Spooked but curious, I decided to check it out. I walked over consciously and examined the door. There was no indication that it had been slammed shut. The wood around the door was pristine and the floor below had not been scrapped. I opened it, trotted down the old creaky stairs and investigated the basement for a third time. After reaching the bottom, I turned the light on. I expected to see nothing, just as I had before. While scanning the room left to right, nothing is mostly what I saw. But, fuck, but after doing a double take, however, I, I realized there was something, something was amiss. Off in the center of the far wall was a door. A fucking door. My basement had no door. That I was sure of. I knew this before purchasing that place almost a year ago when I first took the fucking grand tour. I also didn't see the door when I went down there that morning or the other day. It didn't make any sense. I walked towards it, bewildered. I wasn't sure of the door's origins, but I knew that it had to be the cause of the sound. There was no other explanation. As I approached that, the impossibility in front of me, I realized something that made my skin crawl. I recognized that wood, the design, the deadbolt. It was the attic door. I didn't want it to open for the fear of what might be lurking behind, but instead I ran upstairs and checked to see if the attic door was still there. The actual one. And it was. It was, indeed. I then ran back downstairs into the basement only to find that the door down there had vanished. <laughs> My going delusional? Had I merely imagined its presence? Thinking I had gone completely mad, I went back upstairs and sat down on the couch. <laughs> My mind was running haywire, trying to comprehend things, but eventually gave in to its own weariness. I ended up taking a short nap, that's when I had another weird dream. This dream was similar to the one I had before. I was, I was sitting on the couch watching TV when I heard a scratching noise. The only difference was it was coming from the basement rather than the attic. It was too progressed and it turned into a voracious knocking that I couldn't ignore. As such, I got up from the couch and went downstairs to put a stop to it. But in my dream, the basement was empty, no mysterious door in sight, and that knocking and scratching seeds upon my entrance, of course. At my wit's end, I went back upstairs. 
sound then returned with a vengeance, only this time it was coming from the attic again. I ran up there as fast as I could, but the noise stopped. So I waited. Following the narrative of my previous dream, the deadbolt clicked, signaling that the door had unlocked itself. Unlike my previous dream, however, the door opened up a bit. A hand reached out from within. That's when I woke up. I wrote the first dream off as a byproduct of an overstressed mind, but to have it reoccur, it just, it just wasn't ordinary, at least not for me. Between the door, my basement, and my strange nightmares, I was a mess. Both perplexed and frightened, I, I called my friend John. Well, John. <laughs> well, he is an eccentric fellow. He's the kind of guy who believes in UFOs, ghosts, conspiracy theories, the cult, and other things of that nature. Not only does he believe in them, but he actually studies them. He knows more about Roswell than I do about myself. And being a skeptic, I always thought that the massive amount of information he retained was borderline fucking useless. But I changed my mind about that after seeing my attic door pop open in my basement. If anyone could help, or at least steer me in the right direction. It was going to be him. I spoke with John for a couple of hours. He was he was ecstatic after hearing about my experience. I know, fucking asshole. But he began rattling off with different things he thought might indicate some of his theories included a wormhole, a gateway to the other side, and even a glitch. One of the many theories that he subscribes to is that the world we live in, we live in is, well, a simulation. He told me that he couldn't be completely certain about what, what it was without seeing it for himself. Unfortunately, he lives too far to just stop by and visit. Fuck. Instead, leaving me empty-handed, John gave me some advice on what to do next. After telling him about the voice I captured and the dreams I've been having, he started leaning towards the ghost idea he, he, he thought might be trying to communicate with me, you know? And because of this, he told me I should set the voice up recorder in the basement and ask the spirit some questions. I could play back the recording after and listen for the voice. John said I should do it in the attic as well. Fuck. I know, the fucking attic. Though weary of his methods, I told him I'd try it out. After all, I couldn't just sit around and expect the situation to resolve itself, could I? I didn't like the idea of going up into the attic by myself, but I needed to do something. After getting off the phone, I immediately put his plan into action. The basement would have to be first, as I was still apprehensive about going upstairs. I set up the app and put my phone on the basement floor. I proceeded to ask questions, leaving enough space in between for someone or something to answer. I asked for a number of things like its name, its age, and what it wanted. And after roughly five minutes of interrogation, 
I stopped the recording and played it back. I must have listened to my own voice a million times, hoping for anything audible to present itself, but to my dismay, I caught nothing of sort. It seemed as though the attic would indeed have to be my next venture. I reluctantly climbed the stairs up to the attic. I looked at it for a few moments, took a deep breath, and unlocked the deadbolt. I opened the door and braced myself. There was nothing there, save for the previous owner's belongings. When I first purchased the house, I had to do a little bit of renovating, so to speak. The owner before me had no cable, electricity, or proper plumbing. On top of that, they left all their stuff behind. I had most of it removed, but left everything that was in the attic. I had no need for the space. I didn't want to put any of my money into emptying the house that I had to. I pursued the attic's words for a bit, curious as to what it was. I technically own some of the interesting items that stood out to me were old postcards from Paris, a strange looking dog collar, and a book on witchcraft. The fear setting in while going to the contents of my new collection, the angled ceilings, antiques, and large windows overlooking my yard did give the place a good dose of charm, but I still didn't like it. Attics. I quickly hit the record button on the app and set my phone on the floor. I asked the same question as before. Bye. I didn't leave as much space in between as I really wanted. Before stopping the recording, I had a, had a thought. Perhaps the spirit will respond if I ask the same question that I did in my sleep. I cleared my throat and asked. Where are you? After asking the final question, I stopped the recording and played it back. It sounded almost identical to the one I'd recorded in the basement, complete with a lack of answers, of course. And that is, until the very end. After I asked the last question, I heard a familiar, a familiar low whisper behind you. After hearing this reply, I, I fucking immediately turned around. There was nothing there. Despite this, I hightailed it upstairs. That eerie voice reinforced my phobia of addicts and instilled in me an indescribable dread. I could no longer bear to be in that house by myself. I called John again and begged him to help me out. I told him I gave him cash for the money for the eight-hour trip. He was reluctant at first, knowing that he could have spent the night call out of work the next morning. Curiosity got the best of him in the end, and after much deliberation, he agreed to come over. So, I waited for John in my car. While sitting there, I couldn't help but examine my house. I began asking myself questions like it was like, was it really haunted? Do ghosts really exist? And 
Of course, my fear is this what my life has come to. Though the questions were speculative and rhetorical, I pretty much knew the answers. As I gazed towards the house in disappointment, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. It was a silhouette standing at the attic window. <laughs> I told myself, holy shit. What the fuck? What do I do? Those were the only retorts that crossed my mind after seeing that shadowy figure. And after a few moments of staring, the figure stepped back from the window, completely out of sight. I sat and pondered about it for a few moments after its departure. In the moment of bravery, I chose to go back in the house and up to the attic. I know, I know, I know, fucking crazy, I know. But it's my house. And I needed to show this thing that I wasn't interested in playing its games. I mean, even though I was scared shitless, but fuck it. Besides that, John would have my head if I didn't follow the damn fucking thing. So, feeling confident, but still shaky, I ventured up to the attic. I swung the door open without hesitation, and I waltzed in it like I owned the place. And after all, I fucking did. The attic was void of any ghostly figures, but it did harbor the faint scent of a candle wax. Unsure of how to proceed, I started talking in a loud and firm tone. This is in your house, and I'm tired of playing your bullshit game, Spirit. I demand that you leave at once. <laughs> I knew this wasn't going to work, but it was almost cathartic. I felt hell of a lot better fighting back, I'll tell you that. I walked around the attic satisfied with my rant, thinking that I had actually conquered my own fear. My smug demeanor wouldn't last more than a few moments. Soon after I spoke, a ghost of wind blew through the attic and hit me like a fucking bus, nearly knocking me over. I knew it was a ghost doing I tried to stand my ground, but I was pretty damn fucking frightened. <clears throat> I watched as everything around me flew about, creating a tornado of mementos and keepsakes. I was about to retreat when I noticed something that hadn't budged an inch. It was that fucking book on witchcraft that I had seen before. Upon noticing it, the wind explicitly stopped. Everything fell to the floor. I walked over to the book, curious as to why it remained stationary. As I did it, it opened up on its own. It was startling, but I need somehow sense no malice. I was coming around to the fact that the ghost might really be trying to communicate with me. The page. The book Latin on was a spell. The whole thing was in Latin, but from what I could make out of it, it had something to do with growing plants. Confused, I reached out to the ghost for help. I asked, what? what do you want me to do? After asking the question, the attic door slammed shut. I thought for a moment and gathered 
that it wanted me to recite that spell in the attic. I mean, I was confused, but somehow calm. It felt as though I was helping the spirit in some way. Before I could read from the book, my phone went off. It was a text from John. He essentially said he couldn't come. But he wishes me good luck. Fuck. Even though I wasn't freaking out anymore, it was nice knowing that someone was on the way to my house just in case some things went sour. I didn't like it. But I was on my own. I accepted this and turned my attention back to the book. It was time to deliver the spell. I cleared my throat and began reciting the text in the book. I took Latin in college and although I didn't retain all the information, I knew enough to make the proper pronunciations. Even still, I stumbled over my words during certain parts because of this I had to restart a couple of times, I know. I just, I, I just wanted to get it right, especially if it was truly what the, the ghost wanted. After finishing the spell flawlessly, I mean, for the most part, the attic door opened. I walked out with a book in hand, wondering if everything was over. But it wasn't. When I reached the bottom step and turned around the corner, it became quickly apparent that it wasn't. The basement door was wide fucking open. I... I... I was in uncharted territory, taking orders from a ghost. But I hoped I was following along alright. Seeing the basement door convinced me that I probably needed to recite the spell down there as well. I still wasn't sure why. But it felt like this was of spirit's well. As such, I obliged. I, I walked down into the basement with the book and turned the light on. <coughs> a quick glance around revealed that I was alone and there was no door. I cleared my throat once again and began reciting the spell, word for word. Honestly, I was a little excited. I felt like I was doing something productive about my ghost problem, and it might actually help put it to rest. This time, I got it right on the first try. Upon finishing the spell in the basement, the house began shaking. <sighs> Fuck. When I say the house, I mean the whole house, basement and all. I never experienced an earthquake before, but it seemed like the only logical explanation for what was happening. It wasn't until I looked around the room during the madness that I realized it was the spell's doing. There, on the far wall, shaking with the rest of the house was the attic door. I wonder if the spell had somehow summoned it, simultaneously causing the house to wobble. The tremor eventually stopped. I was left with the door. Lending credits to my theory, I waited for a few minutes, thinking the door would open, but it did not. 
It seemed that I would have to do that myself. I wasn't too happy about it, but I come too far to back out now. I gathered my wits and walked over to the door. I proceeded to swing it open without fear, just as I had upstairs. Behind the door was a surprise. It was the attic. The attic from upstairs. Everything was the same. The fucking same. Only there was a man standing at the window. Hearing me open the door, he turned around. His eyes widened when he saw me. He ran so fast in my direction that I didn't even have a chance to take a single step back as he rushed through the doorway and into the basement. He turned back around and slammed the attic door shut, making sure to lock the deadbolt. He turned to me, grabbed my shoulders, looked me dead in the eye. I was baffled and scared for my life. He said, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, as he said. After expressing his thanks, the man let go of me and ran upstairs. But not before turning back around and offering me some advice. He said, whatever you do, don't go in there. He gestured toward the attic door before bolting upstairs. I ran after him. I mean, fuck. I want to ask some fucking questions. But when I got upstairs, it, it was already too late. My front door was open. I could see him running down the dirt road towards town. And that was that. I've slept every night since then with no noises or paranormal issues whatsoever. I even set up the cameras and voice recorder a few times to make sure. They didn't catch a damn fucking thing. I don't know what the fuck happened, but I'm sure of one thing. The man that came out from behind that attic door was no fucking ghost. It was a living, breathing person. First of all, what the fuck? I, <laughs> shit, I got questions. What the fuck? I'm more confused than ever. Yeah. So I got that, questions and I expect Josh to answer them all. You, you do better. It. Do you better. it. Do it. All right. So do it. You go first. I, I was just playing. I don't have questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. So, yeah. What's up? Going back okay. to him spotting a door. Was it in the attic or in the basement? It was in the, in the basement. basement. It was in the basement. It, it was in the basement. Door. And he never remembered seeing that door nope, ever. Ever. Before no. he bought the house, he went into it. He checked it out. There was no, no door, door in that basement. Okay. And since, and since this motherfucker hates the basement and the attic, yeah. he fucking hasn't, he, hasn't t- taken a peek at it since, I guess, he bought the house. Right? No. Uh, he left some of the stuff because the previous owner had... He left all his shit. Yeah. You think, so the you remaining think that stuff, dude was the previous owner? I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was him. The dude that booked it? Check it out. When he bought the house, that house didn't have any electricity, yeah. no plumbing. And 
So that dude's been there for a long time. Yeah, so it was back in the days when there was no cable, no electricity, stated. And there was a... So it was like witchcraft. So it was, like, e- so it was like easily in the 90s. No Wi-Fi. <laughs> easily in the <laughs> 90s, fuck. So then... Yeah, so all the stuff that he didn't re- like take out, he left it in the attic. Right. But he was so scared of attics more than basements, so he put Everything. a lock on it. Yeah. And the attic, not the yeah. basement. Yeah, in the attic. Okay. But when shit starts happening, I mean when shit started happening, yeah. That same door was down there in the basement. Yeah. It's like a fucking portal or some shit. Yeah. Kinda yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. When he recited that spell or whatever, it, it he, opened and, and he came out. And I guess it was that same well the owner. Yeah. Because nobody knew what happened to the owner. He left all his stuff there. Damn. You know who? Do you know who he unleashed into the world? Who was it? The first McPoyle. <laughs> <laughs> the first McPoyle. The first of the, uh, the elder McPoyle. The McPoyle origin story. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a fucked up story. <laughs> that was a fucked up story. It's a dope ass story, bro. It's creepy. I, I was literally closing my eyes listening to the whole thing. Wow, dude, this dude fell fucking asleep like nah, my bad. I want to fucking visualize the whole shit. You were snoring, and also I was well, snoring. <laughs> fuck out of here you you put a lot of a lot of character into it like yeah 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 i mean there were some fuck-ups in there but i was but like it I went with it though but i was it like I, I, I can't correct it i just nah, gotta keep going i just keep going your, your flow your flow's fix it break, in post so. yeah yeah yeah, yeah i'm gonna have to fix it <laughs> i saw i saw Moses taking notes <laughs> yeah i saw he's like all right but yeah so uh i read this story it's um, a long ass fucking story when i woke up around 3 30 I read it. Yeah. I mean, estimate time says 19 minutes to get through it. But, yeah, so I started recording myself on my phone. And were you getting anything. freaked out while you were reading it? While it was that late? I I was. Because I heard, I don't know, I forgot what scene it was, but there was like a humming or some shit. And I was like, nah, it's part of the cars outside at 3.30 a.m., 4 a.m. Hell yeah. That, that happens. It. Yeah. So, yeah. All of a sudden, we have an attic door and start slamming shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> the fucking studio doors start fucking slamming. <laughs> hey, we see the spell book. We have like three. You know, what, you know what to do. Yeah, but I don't know Latin. I barely know English. <laughs> I barely know English. I barely graduated. But yeah, so that's a story for uh, Never Use a Sleep Recorder While You're Asleep by Christopher Maxim. All right. This is this is definitely. Give, you got to give it up for Josh for, for waking hey, up so early. Uh, Thank you. But that's because I procrastinate. But. uh. Thanks for credit. You Josh, could have totally lied about that. Josh, the method nah. actor? Nah. The method actor? The method actor. You're method man now. Yeah. So you guys enjoyed it? That was a good one. That was yeah. all right. That was, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> that was all right. <laughs> Helped out sleep, that's for sure. Moses and, and my stories are fucking trash now. Yeah, hell no, nah, dude. What the fuck? That's all right, do over. Yours, oh, yours almost made me cry. Moses, the loved one. Sensitive ass motherfucker. Yeah, low key. Yours was just morbid as fuck. <laughs> I'm into that shit. This is yeah. just more of a fuck. I'm into that shit. All right, so Louis. So, Louis, are you going to sleep tonight? <clears throat> huh? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll sleep fine. Yeah, yeah just a couple faps and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> be right out. So, I'm going to have to put explicit on this episode. This is going to be labeled explicit. Are they all? Yeah, but y'all don't have to say that shit, man. <laughs> right, just go with it. All right, so, Louis, I want to thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we didn't bore you as much as they bored me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you for letting me on the show and uh, talk about jacking off. You know, <laughs> the kind of content I provide here. <laughs> it's just like a road podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a road podcast. It's like nothing's changed. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, it's almost fucking two hours with the stories. Damn, that's a good one. So, again, if you guys are at work, turn off the lights. It doesn't matter what the f- hospital, turn doctor's off. office. Don't, don't off. matter. Turn everything off. Turn them off. It'll take two hours off. It's on us. <laughs> you're on the freeway. Turn off your car. If, the, <laughs> the, if anybody tells you anything, just say Moses said it's okay. They'll understand. Who the fuck is Moses? <laughs> they'll understand. No, they'll understand. So, thank you guys so much. If you guys want to check out these stories, you guys could look at the, on, the, uh, on the show's show notes. The links are going to be there. Um, if you guys just want to read more creepypastas for uh, the longest time, I was obsessed. With, remember, I was obsessed yep. with creepypastas. Yep, I remember. I was that. obsessed with What was that other thing you were, uh, was it something marbles? Marbles? It was like a YouTube thing. Oh, the Hornet. Marble Hornet? The Marble Hornet? Oh, with, yeah. Uh, the, early, the early Slenderman. That's, what we, that's yeah. why we stopped doing our Slenderman thing. Yeah. We're like, oh, fuck. It's been right. done. Yeah, we fucked this yeah. up. So, thank you guys so much. If you guys want, please check all these stories out. They're on Creepypasta. Just follow the links. Read them yourselves. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, join us next episode. We don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about. Well, I mean, yeah, we have no <laughs> idea what the fuck we're going to talk about. But I'm pretty sure it might not be. I mean, it will probably be an interesting topic more often than not. Yeah. So, if you, do you guys have anything else to add? I mean, this is our first Creepypasta episode. If y'all are into this, please also let us know yeah. to see if, you know, we, we should do more. More, uh, we've gotten more suggestions on episodes, which is kind of cool. Oh, hell yeah! Yeah, we have one. Um, somebody messaged us, they want us, somebody talked about why don't we do a story because apparently there's a real life Silent Hill city somewhere in the United States. What in the yeah, in the US of A? Yeah, there's like in a whole America? abandoned city and it's like yeah. supposed to be super spooky. Oh, but, oh why don't you get to something on this? Like, oh, be cool, completely abandoned, completely abandoned. And there's like a few cities that I know of that are completely abandoned. So, now. we should, so we should go Just there and do the episode there. No. <laughs> no, no, but there, but there is a haunted city, a whole city that's for sale for one million dollars. A whole city, a whole city. It's it's like not. It's obviously it's, a, it's like in the middle of like bumfuck somewhere else. It's not a, like L.A. It's like a town, a small little town. You know those those little with like five stores and you know. Like to be small. honest, any city that's not L.A. is a bumfuck city. <laughs> Bro, how dare you talk about any of our middle middle America? With middle listeners. American listeners, all right. No matter how small your, no matter how small your town is, it's, it's still, fuck. It's still, it's still, it's, still, it's shut the boobies. The fuck up. All right. Sounds like talking about your dick size. Man. I gotta mute. I gotta mute his mic. So yeah. So we've gotten suggestions to do something like that. Yeah. Uh, we got suggestions to do something on medieval tortures from around the world, medieval torture machines, devices, things yeah. of that nature. That okay. one's pretty cool. Just okay. To, okay. We could throw some metal shit in there, like the Iron Maiden. That's Satanic all. That's true. That's, what? Did you guys ever do Satanic Panic? That's no, because that's a lot. <laughs> like that's you guys the, did like a six part episode on <laughs> dude, man. <laughs> but this is the thing though. That was one book. Uh the, the Satanic Panic, we're gonna have to cover heavy metal, then we're gonna have to cover um like other things. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like excuses, bro. <laughs> no, but that's one that remember that's one topic we no. I, I wanted to do with us when we were doing it. That's why I brought it up. Wait, so you guys never done it? No. Because it was a lot. It was a lot. Then That's we should bring him. Make him do better, some work. I got better. You got better things. Things. <laughs> yeah, better just got to. duty. <laughs> Fuck. All right, guys. Thank you guys Fuck so yourself. much. If you guys don't have anything else to add, you guys could pl- uh, please 
like and subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We've we've gotten some favorable comments and uh, ratings on our um, on iTunes. Um, it's still it's like still five stars or one star. Usually you <laughs> hit us. In between. Oh, there's no in, in between. There's, there's no, no in between. There, like we've got like thirty seven reviews uh-huh. and like twenty five or like fives and like. 10 or like fucking one and then we have like maybe a one maybe a two so it's either you hate us or you like us which is what i prefer it's just, i would hate to be in the i would hate to be like eh. two You're two stars eh. yeah two like oh, they're, they're okay to the, oh dude i fucking love them or like oh these unfunny fucking spicks and doing all this shit you know what i mean <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> so please do that you can follow us on instagram weird history even tells pod Join the discourse on one of our older pictures. Oh, that's true. Freaking. Start talking shit. Like, do it. Like, it's people, people love to do it on one specific picture of ours. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. If you get to, nobody has anything else to add, I will finally end this fucking episode. And as always, we are the Weird History Eerie Tales Pod. El Cucuy. <laughs>